Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Celtic Now and for our podcast. My name is Ryan Clifford. Join me again this week on this special episode is Robert Boyle. Robert, how's things, mate? All good, thanks, Ryan. Well, as we said, I said, Robert, it's a, a really, really good podcast this week. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm really glad you've got him on, mate. Um, and I think both of us are really buzzing to get his stories and obviously listen to his experiences through, obviously, his dad. Oh, definitely, Ryan. Yeah, it's going to be a good podcast. His dad was a hero of mine. I think most Celtic fans, mate, it's the same vibe. He's an absolute hero, a legend. Um, obviously, we want to do some. Um, it's Jonathan Burns, obviously the son of the great legend Celtic player Tommy Burns. Jonathan, how's things, mate? Good, lads. Thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. I say, I think it's better. It's made up us to be appreciate you, mate, because, um, again, it's, as we mentioned, your dad's obviously not here, but for you to kind of say your story and obviously your dad's, it's, it's brilliant for us to listen in, and I think, Robert, the both is a, a bit of, for me, a bit of aura about it, because it's, it's brilliant to have you on, and obviously, I think for the viewers as well, but a good podcast. Well, definitely, Ryan. Um, I, was, I was actually just going through Twitter the other day, and I seen Jonathan, and I thought, give him a message, man, and see if he'll come on. So it was good that Jonathan replied and came on. We appreciate his time. Especially he's a busy man. Obviously, you're American at the moment, eh, Jonathan. How, how's it been over there? Obviously, the situation now is it's a bit shit what's been happening in the world. So how's it been for the moment? And obviously, Celtic, it's not really, it's not really came in hand in hand this season. Aye, it's... Um... Well, listen, I'm in Florida, where uh, I don't think COVID exists in Florida, uh, or, or I don't think they recognise it. So uh, we've been pretty lucky, to be honest with you, um, Ryan, in comparison to the rest of the world, because it's, it's honestly pretty much been business as usual here. Um, so, you know, in comparison to what's happening at home, you know, it's it, it's kind of unbelievable. But um, I Celtic are, go, are going out their way to... Uh, to try and dampen my mood this this season, so um, it's it's been a long season that I'm sure we'll we'll all be happy to see the back of. I definitely, mate. I think obviously the podcast and Robert have been ranting raving all season, so I think when it comes to the season, Robert, I think it's just it will be good to get. Obviously, we don't know how an imagined situation is going to work out, but it's just a bit of excitement because this season's been a bit of according to the fans, it's a bit of a damn squib on it. Definitely. I'm just hoping by next week that there's a manager announced 
or a director of football because it's like a dark tunnel and you've just not seen the light all season in it. Aye, it's an officer joining from America, so he obviously might know get the, the big kind of full brunt of the feelings over here in Glasgow, but it's been very, very fans on the happy Jonathan. I think you obviously yourself find yourself, so you obviously get that vibe as well. Aye, it's 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 one of those ones, Ryan, where it's just um it, it just seems as if we could do no right this year, you know, and I think it's a lot of people when things don't go right at Celtic or, or even at Rangers, you know, the natural thing is you're going to get criticism. And, um, you know, I think people have spoken about recruitment and things like that. And it's, it's a strange argument because I actually think Celtic's recruitment probably since Neil Lennon's first term has been decent from a business point of view. And it's it's generated the club a lot of money and, it seemed as if we were we were in a good place where we were, you know, it was players kind of 23 and under, good sell-on value. And and for whatever reason, Ryan, maybe it was just desperation to try and get the 10 or whatever the case may be, but we seem to abandon that, you know, and, and we seem to kind of just get guys in that that we felt were going to do the job for a year. And, um, you know, Shane Duffy, I mean... I think Shane Duffy, he's, he's a listen, he's been a Premier League player for, for many years and he's obviously a talented lad and it's just not worked for him at Celtic. And, but, I mean, I think anybody with two eyes would probably look and say that Shane Duffy's a penalty box striker who's going to defend deep and head the ball away. And when you come to Celtic, we need something completely different from that. You know, we, we need guys who can play out from the back and defend high and, and recover if the ball was in behind. And, that's what I'm saying. Just this year, there's, there's maybe been questionable decisions with the recruitment. So, you know, the, the kind of the terminus of that has been that it's just no worked on the pitch, you know, and, and it's um, a, a lot of things with Dubai and everything else. And it's been one thing after the other. As you mentioned, the way Celtic playing, the, the way they've always been, um, the, kind of, the, the philosophy of the, of, the, of the team, and we're not really signing. Me and Robert been speaking about really signed players for the way the team plays and the way the structure is. They've just really signed guys that will try and get them in, they'll do a job and we'll get the 10. But it's still no planning for the future. It's always kind of short term. Aye. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's 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 gonna I think it's gonna be short term at Celtic Ryan, because Celtic is a sailing club. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the things where, you know, We've all seen the kind of European Super League and all that kind of thing come up. Celtic need to generate money through transfers, you know, and I, I think that one of the things that I would maybe say this season is is Neil Lennon, who's been an unbelievable servant for Celtic, you know, and, and, and it's, he's had a really, really tough season and, and eventually it's ended with him losing his job and, and you've got John Kennedy in there as well and I, I just think that it's probably two kind of very different outlooks on how the game should be played. I think Neil Lennon is definitely a kind of get after them, you know, go and, and press high and, and, you know, get the ball forward. And Whereas everything that kind of probably John Kennedy has been exposed to is has been about a brand, you know, a brand of football under Rodgers, under Dahlia. So it's, it's probably two contrasting um, ideas. And... Um, you know, listen, John John Kennedy 
I think has a very, very good reputation and and everything that I've heard as well is that he is a fantastic coach and, and there's no doubt in that. Um, I, I just think that that there's maybe been decisions this year with guys that we've maybe held on to as well mm-hmm. that it's probably just a season too long, you know, and um, as I say, just a, a cumulative effect of, of, of things that could have went wrong for Celtic and, and kind of everything has, you know. It's true about... Jonathan saying there, Robert, it's actually the first I've really thought about it. What you're saying, obviously, Neil Lennon and John Kennedy, it's different type of the ways they look at football. And again, we, as us as fans, we don't really think about that. And that could have been one reason why it's maybe no work, because maybe one guy's about to say one thing and the other guy's trying to implement another thing. So again, it could be the dynamics just doesn't work this season. That's maybe why we have kind of failed. We have heard the rumours, Ryan, um, of possible fallouts between the two of them. Obviously, we're different philosophies of football and different coaching styles. We have heard these rumours, but again, rumours we don't know which is true. Um, I, I get what Jonathan's saying, that John Kennedy is probably highly regarded as a good coach, but a good coach doesn't make you a good manager. I think they're completely different people. And I think that's where we're lacking. As a good man manager who knows how to get the best out of the players. And I just feel if a new manager comes in, Nothing against John Kennedy or Gavin Stratton, but they need to move on and the guy needs to have his full backroom staff in that he can work with. And I think Neil Lennon should never have took the job in their terms without his own backroom staff. As we say, it didn't work out. But if it worked out, then I great. But I think you can't get into a job with one arm time behind your back and other people dictating to you how to do your job because it, it will always fail in the end up. I I think that's it's kind of showed out now, as you mentioned. The hindsight's a wonderful thing in football. Um, but again, talking about the manager, we just hope we can get it sorted soon because it is on limbo now and talks cooled about how and like you know guys, it's all cooled. But hopefully, as you mentioned, um, we can get it done soon. Um, but obviously, Jonathan, um, the early days, um, with obviously your dad uh, growing up. Was it very hard not to get involved in Celtic and football because your dad was engraved in that type of industry? I think, Ryan, it's, it's like everything else. I think if you uh, you grow up supporting Celtic or, or Rangers, you're born into it, you know, and, and, and we were like every other Celtic supporter. You know, our family was Celtic and, and um, our situation was maybe slightly different because we were... Um, you know, we were so connected with my dad's role at the club and, you know, he's passed at the club. So, um, yeah, we were born into it. Um, you know, I was obviously, you know, probably when I was very young, it was probably my dad's time at Kilmarnock, to be honest. And then from there to go and be the manager of Celtic, I think he was only 37 or 38 when he, when he took the Celtic job the first time. So... Um, it was it was definitely a it was definitely a kind of great childhood, you know, because it's very lucky not only to support the club but to to have somebody that was so deeply ingrained in it, you know. I can, I can imagine it must have been kind of obviously hectic as well. People in and out of the house, and your dad always out, and obviously for yourself, but it been it must have been brilliant to actually I been brought up in that type of atmosphere because as you mentioned, once you're in Celtic, you're in Celtic and. For an early age, it's very hard to get out that once you're involved in Celtic, you very well leave it. You always carry it forward into your kind of later years. 
Aye, exactly. And, and I think in football as well, that like the one thing that any kind of family that's involved in football is, is that you're, you're never really settled. You're going to be moving, you know, my dad was at Newcastle with Kenny Dalglish from Newcastle. He went to Reading um, and then from Reading where he had an absolute nook. Uh, we, we eventually came back up the road again under Kenny. So we were actually very lucky because we were able to grow up in Glasgow for the most part, apart from kind of a 18 month to two year spell in Reading. Um, we, we were able to, you know, live in Glasgow and grow up in Glasgow. So, um, you know, in comparison to other families that are involved in football, we were, we were very fortunate with that. Yeah, obviously as well, growing up in Glasgow, um, it's, it's either one side or other than it. You're either Celtic or Rangers and obviously... Fighting for your dad and yourself, I've grown up on the good side of Glasgow. <laughs> I, I mean, I never had too much bother, Ryan. I went to a Catholic school, so I was all right. <laughs> no, it was, um, listen, we've been very, very lucky, you know, because I think, um, I, I think in terms of my dad, you know, he, he was a guy that was obviously a Celtic diehard and absolutely loved the club, but I think he was one of those kind of rare examples um, between Celtic and Rangers, where it's a guy that's that's maybe respected on both sides. So we we were never really exposed to. I mean, you always get one or two lunatics, but we were never exposed to, you know, him getting abuse or whatever the case may be. It, it, it just wasn't like that for us, you know. And I know that's not the same for everybody, but. Um, again, it's just something that we were fortunate to have, you know, we were able to kind of grow up in an environment where we weren't exposed too much to that. That must have been brilliant, Robert, that's been involved at an early age from kind of Celtic to that age, your dad been involved in football, it must be a very good kind of upbringing. Oh, it's a dream come true if you're a young boy in it, it's like to know that you could get in around the club and get to meet your heroes, should we say. And obviously his dad maybe saying, oh, come over, Jonathan, there's Pierre Van Hooydonk. Can you imagine the feeling that would be? It'd be like Christmas every day, wouldn't it? That'd Definitely. Be it'd, be, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Uh, amazing. The absolute amazing experience. See, when you were younger, Jonathan, did your dad take you in and round the club and stuff like that um, to meet players and just round about, obviously, the, the training ground and stuff like that, let you experience stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't know how my mum and dad never got to jail because, you know, <laughs> to be honest, um, I was always, you know, I, I was always kind of following my dad a bit. I'm, I'm sure, like, you know, probably more so at Reading and when he was involved in the youths. Um, you know, you, you've got guys like Darren O'Day, Simon Ferry and stuff like that now, but, but those were boys that, when I was kind of going to work most days with with my dad, it was it was those lads that were maybe the seventeens that you know they kept full time players. So, um, you know, I actually remember one story that kind of um, sticks in my head was it was a Christmas day, and my dad comes in the door, and my mum's obviously stressed to the eyeballs because every auntie, uncle, everything is is in the house, and um, he sticks his head around the kitchen door and goes like that, Rosemary. That's George Cadet and his wife here. Two more plates ready. <laughs> so she was calling him for everything. But my God, George Cadet had to absorb some amount of shite that day. <laughs> um, 
we were actually playing later that night, usual stuff on Christmas Day. So we were we were playing a game and it was Jenna. And, and Jenna won't forgive me for, for telling this, but we are playing I Spy. So George Cadet, who's, who's got a very loose grasp of English as it is, is, is sitting there and Jenna's like, uh, well, I Spy, My Little Eye, something beginning with H. So this went on for about 15 minutes, people guessing things with H. And so, but Jenna, we give up. What is it? She went like that. Ornament. She thought ornament started with us. <laughs> 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 with my dad was like, that fucking hell, he doesn't even know English as it is, and now he thinks ornament spelled with an H. So uh, honestly, it was it was stuff like that all the time. He was he was terrible for that, just turning up with guys, you know, he's coming for dinner. And oh my poor mum, honestly, she was um, she was put through the ringer. That's that's brilliant. Like I don't think you would get that in modern football now, Jonathan. Like players going to managers' houses, I don't know, maybe maybe they do, but it's not something you would kind of have seen nowadays like that. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a different time, you know, it was definitely a different time and I think that at that point as well, you know, as we spoke before the kind of podcast started, that was a really difficult time in Celtic's history that we're coming out of, you know, so when you're trying to get players, I mean, Di Canio came from AC Milan, you know, so he's coming from a monster club and you know, at, at that time, you know, you're, you're trying to... I think my dad was always very aware of kind of installing in the players what it was, you know, and I think that's a big part, you know, of, you know, him trying to show that, you know, Celtic was just a huge institution, you know, that meant everything and, and he always made sure that the players were round about that and exposed it, you know, because in the same token, like George Cadet that day probably had to sit between two of my uncles who talked about nothing but Celtic for about three and a half hours, you know? So it's, it's one of those ones where um, I think he always knew that players coming maybe weren't aware of the size of Celtic yeah. or the scale of it, and he, he wanted to make sure that they knew that, you know? Yeah, brilliant. See, like, round about the club and that, what great experiences, like when you were round about the club with players, did you have a good laugh with players? Did you get a kick about with the players when you were young and that? Did you have any great experiences, even the youth players going through at the time? Uh, the, the youth players, were, like as I say, that was a great time for the youth players because there was just so many great lads. I mean, Simon Ferry, Darren O'Dea, but you had Dermot O'Carroll, Rocco Quinn, Michael McGlinchey, um, you know, Dino Richardson. Just There was a lot of top, top players there. They sailed it in the youths at that time, and um, the, listen, the stuff you know, the the stuff that um, used to happen with with, with that group <laughs> of youth players, I mean, they were mental, you know. So I, I don't think they would get away with it now. But in terms of experiences, like you know, I remember one day getting taken into Celtic Park. We went in early, and um, it was. It was Henrik Larson, you know. So I was, I was kind of my dad just be like, "Are you going there and sit down?" So then Henrik came in and let any, let any kid, you know, that was that was God. And um, Henrik came in and spoke away, and uh, Henrik was like, "That do you play?" And my dad be like, "That off, oh, Henrik. Hey, he's deceiving that lad. He's deceiving." And Henrik was like, "Oh yeah." He goes, ah, he's fucking slower than he looks. In front of Henrik, you're like, oh, God, you know. But it, there was, um, as I say, very, very lucky, you know, to kind of, we did have those experiences. Um, 
you know, but, but definitely probably more on the youths when I was growing up. That was my kind of memory of going and kicking a ball about at the side of the pitch at Barrafield while the, the full-time lads were in, you know. So loved it. Absolutely loved it. Brilliant. Really, really good, isn't it, Ryan? Ah, it's, as I say, it's, it's a lot of guys, or even even now I'm nearly 28, and I still love to be, to be youth team in the first team just to see what happens and what they do. And, but I think, as Jonathan says, I think obviously I watch the open goal and stuff, and you're here, I'm into, I'm into podcasts, so you listen to the ex-players talking about obviously that youth team, and they all say that that, that era, the youth was kind of brilliant for them to kind of grow up. Um, and obviously... Your dad was obviously a party, kind of bringing him up as a mother doing for kind of later on, but I'm going to speak it now because I think it was a big thing for your dad was to make guys not just better players, but better people. Um, and I think they can I speak about that, like how that was their best days of their kind of youth system, the best days of your football career, because kind of having the experience with your dad and how he was like a father figure. And I think that just shows you the man he was. And I think the respect I've got for him as well at that era and obviously it carried on through his full career. I I think it's definitely one of those ones where, you know, I, I think in terms of like my dad's coaching and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that he was he was a top top coach. But I, I don't think that he was, or he pretended to be a tactical genius. I think everything that he'd done was was very simple. And, and I think like like any kind of any kind of top coach, it's about how they get their message across and and how quickly they get the players to understand that message. So. I think in terms of that, you're right. I actually was, was speaking to Darren O'Day the other day and, and Darren kind of mentioned, he says, I don't ever remember one drill that your dad done. He goes like that, but I think all I remember and, and everything that any player remembers is, is how they were treated as people, you know, and and that's probably the lasting thing because, listen, coaches will come and go, but I think you remember who treated you right and stuff like that, you know. So um, w- with regards to that, I always think that that's something that, that boys like Ferry and stuff like that always kind of go back to. Because that is definitely something, Robert, you hear quite a lot when you listen to the kind of expo speaking. It is obviously, he was, he was a great, as we mentioned, a great manager, a great player, but it was the personality of him. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of take over. It was a funny man, but it was it was the respect. It was, you've got respect to the canteen lady. You've got the canteen, and I think that's just... I don't know if that happens these days, and I don't know if that's maybe that was the era when it was big. And, and again, Tommy could have been one of the main guys that brought that anti Celtic. I think it was just his personality that shone through the way he treated people was with total respect. Whether you were coming through at the youth level or whether you're Paolo Di Canio, he treated everybody the same. And I think I, I, never, I never get coached by him personally, obviously, but I think. If a guy like that treats you like that and is very good to you, I think he would run through a brick wall for somebody like that. Like just playing football for a young age myself, I remember Michelle McManus's dad. It was on the X Factor. We were in St Bridget's and he was our manager in primary primary school. And I just remember the the boys were having so much respect for him. And he would say, "Look, we're not train tonight, lads, because you've just won at the weekend." Blah blah blah. And he was just an amazing guy. And I just Everybody in our team had that much respect and would do it for him. If he says to you, look, playing goals, you'd have done it. And I think that's the way it must have been with Tommy Burns. Just every youth player, every senior player just had so much respect and they treated them well. And that's just obviously shown through the full team and the academy. Because look at the players we developed through Tommy's help. 
Aye, definitely. As 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 Jonathan says, that era with Sammy Ferry stuff, they have talked about Jonathan has been obviously some guys have confused, some guys haven't they, but they were talked about as a very, very talented group of players. Definitely. They had Eddie McGeady in there as well, didn't they? He was probably meant to be the, the top one of them all, wasn't he? And he spoke so highly of Tommy. I think as as Jonathan says as well, it's I think it's just just being respectful. I think that was the thing, wasn't it? Uh, Jonathan, the players just they obviously reacted to him in that way. And obviously, as Robert mentioned, it was obviously good. It was good from playing football because they obviously done well from as well. Yeah, I, I think I think the best thing about him, Ryan, was his was his human qualities. I, I think he knew everything about every player. I think he knew where they came from. I think he knew, um, you know, the little sister. I think he, and, and, you know, I think there's just so many situations where he would have done, he would have done anything. He would have done anything for those players. And, and if you bought in and, and he liked you and, and Ferry's one of them, because listen, I, I I think he loved Simon Ferry more than he loved me, to be honest with you. He absolutely <laughs> he absolutely loved Simon. But Simon is a youth player. I mean, it kind of gets undersold how good Simon was. And then he picked up a terrible injury and still went on to have a decent career. And um but but he he knew everything about his he knew everything about his players. Um and he just he, he really cared. And, and I think, it, you know, just going back to the point that Robert kind of alludes to is, I think that's exactly right. I, I think he, he had guys that would do anything for him, you know, absolutely anything for him. And um, throughout his kind of career, I think that, you know, th- there's no many guys that would kind of turn around and say that wasn't a that wasn't a good time in their career playing for him or whatever the case may be, because I think they knew exactly where they stood with him. Mm-hmm. And I think they knew that if, if you put everything into playing for the club, he'll put everything into, you know, making sure that it's a good environment for you. Because obviously, you mentioned Simon Ferry. I know he talks himself doing a bit on open goal and stuff, and he says I wasn't that good and all that. But it's, obviously, the story I kind of take for open goal was, I don't think you probably heard it before, but it was a one when he was kind of just, I think he was up to Celtic as a youth and, and they took many changing rooms. He says, and here's serious and all that. And he says, he walked down, he says, they're all kind of like dry hump in the, the fizzle bed. He's like, whatever I say, pal, just get that to Aye, <laughs> and aye. And that's, 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 that's super. Aye, <laughs> Midge has got somebody bent over the, aye, aye, the whole place was, I mean, you had big personalities now and, and I think, Ryan, that's, that's something that's um, it's maybe a little bit sad. No, no, you know, no saying this about about Celtic in particular. You know, maybe just youth football in general is just that the characters are, are are maybe out of it. You know, and, and I think the, the characters are always ones that you know you you're sink or swim. You know, because Celtic at that time to come through was very difficult as well. I mean, that was a first team changing room full of men. You know, you. Thompson, Lane, and Sutton, Hartson. And, um, you know, it was hard. It, it was hard. And I, I think you're maybe seeing now, I think you're maybe seeing now a, a little bit tougher getting youth players into that first team environment. And, you know, more worryingly so, 
I think you're starting to see a lot of good Scottish talent as soon as they turn 16 look to get moves to either you know England or Germany whatever the case may be and I, I don't know how you stop that I don't, I don't and, and I'm sure brighter minds than me are, are um, you, you know have far more of an input on it but that, that was that was a time at Celtic where those lads were all good players but but really good characters as well you know and as I say, I, I don't. They wouldn't get away with half the stuff now. You know, they they'd be sacked. I will tell you that. But the, um, you know, they've all got stories and they've all got memories of it. And largely, they all went on to have good careers as well, Ryan. You know, which is the thing. So, yeah, as much as they were, um, as much as they loved a laugh, they were they were a, a really good bunch of talented players. So I think when you obviously a lot of stuff they've done, knew it can't happen, but. I do agree with you, and I think Robert Ball as well, that I think Robert is missing the way, obviously, Jonathan says about characters. People, as soon as a, as soon as a football player knows a character, it's getting out of the club, but you, you, you need characters in a, in a change room. I played in myself when there was maybe a bad boy in the, in the change room or a guy who's maybe a bit of an idiot, but on the park, and after park, he was superb, but because he, he was maybe a wee bit of a lunatic, people thought, get him out, he's a character, and I think football's like that now. I don't think it should be. You need characters, as John Finn says. You need these guys in the change room and in the youths growing up. I think that's just life in general now, Ryan. I think everybody's, should we say, a snowflake mentality. You mm. can't say this, you can't do that. Just a wee instance, the other night, Tumble kicks a leg away for Lewis Ferguson. There's no malicious in it, and everybody's screaming on Twitter. That should be a red card, and I'm thinking, God, they wouldn't have liked to have played in Vinnie Jones's day if that's mm. if they think that's a red card. You know what I mean? Or or even a Graham Soonis type of guy or a John Hughes, Yogi Hughes. Football just is soft now throughout. And I think the two as Jonathan says, you've got Celtic of you you um lost a lot of youth players to Liverpool by a Munich Man City. And I think now it's not about really going and winning I don't know saying they're no interest in going and winning trophies, but it's trying to make much money as quickly as they possibly can now. I think that's a problem in football now. When some of these guys played when they are younger, they played for the love of the game. Now I think it's more about love for the money and quick, quickly as they earn the money as quickly as they can. Because I think, I'm not saying that they're no talented boys, but I can't see many of them getting a chance at Bayern Munich, Man City or Liverpool before they get a chance at Celtic. So I don't know why they would go. I don't know. Maybe it's just they think they're talented enough or their agents or their fathers telling them go to these places and develop themselves as professional football players. But if I, for me, when I was growing up, I didn't care about any other club. I was never good enough to play for Celtic. But don't get me wrong, obviously your head could be turned, but Celtic, for me, if I'm a Celtic supporter, I'd have wanted to stay and done what Cairn Tierney done, played my career at Celtic, won trophies, and then possibly moved on. These guys are moving before they've even done anything. It's strange now, football. Very, very strange. But, but as you mentioned, I just think that's just life in general. Um, I just think it's, I think, as John mentioned, the youth is maybe, it's no dying out, but it's dying out when it's in that sense. Um, and obviously, back in his dad's day, when it was with Simon Ferry and stuff like that, I think the, it is a big thing that they speak about and it's obviously something that, again, will that ever happen again? Have that couple of youth, Jonathan? I don't know if it will because I think 
that time was a very special era for the youth system. Yeah, I mean, what what I will say is, is I think coaching has changed as well, mm-hmm. right? I think that um, it's it's definitely a situation where it's you know I, I always remember him saying, um, I always remember my dad saying that you know the coach, the kind of person you are should be reflected when you're on the pitch, you know. So I, I think with with my dad, for example. I mean, the, the security guards used to say, if it was a 10 o'clock in the morning session, they used to say, turn the floodlights on. Because he'd be down there for about three hours and it would be buzzing about. And, and But the players would love it. You know, the players would love it. And and I think, you know, Robert's 100% right. You know, football has it's changed. It's changed and, you know, you've got sports scientists now and, and you, you know, you've got to look at the load of the session and this player can't train here and, and and that's fine you know it's for the wellness of the player and I understand that but it, it just wasn't what it was like back then you know it wasn't what it was like and um and, and there was no there was no bitching from the players whatever they, the players loved it you know, the players absolutely loved it so it's the, the sport has changed there's no doubt about it um, and Celtic has, listen, I, I was lucky enough to work in Celtic's academy for seven years. So Celtic has some unbelievable coaches. It does. And and there is unbelievable talent at Celtic. And it's the situation is, is you know, I always think it's a catch-22 at Celtic because the, the fans, they want to win. And they want to win trophies, and that's part and parcel of being Celtic. But they want players. They want players bought. You know, they want these ten million pound players. And at that point, whether you like it or not, if Celtic spent ten million pound on somebody, and there's a seventeen year old behind them that definitely could be a player, the manager's going to be under pressure. He's going to be under pressure. That player's got to play. You've spent money on him. You know, whatever the case may be. So it's very difficult. And I don't think that's a Celtic thing. I think that's just elite. Um, to, to break through um, so it's I mean listen as I say we Celtic I don't think it is a case of of, of lack of development I, I don't think that at all I think there's top top players there I just think that you know especially when you're chasing the 10 I think it was very, it was very much a bottleneck to try and get players in there because it meant so much to everybody. I think it's obviously, as you mentioned, us as fans, we don't obviously you've worked at the academy, so you know more than us. So, but we we don't know much about all that. So we just assume that you've got to spend money. But I think as well as me and Robert, we're doing this podcast and getting other people's opinions who maybe worked in football, and obviously some fans who were kind of very good opinions. I think. When we had Joan um, recently, Robert, it was true what he says about, like, if you sign a, a £10 million Italian guy because he's got a fantastic name, it's, he's brilliant. But it could be a Scottish guy who's, as Jonathan says, 17, 18, with just a Scottish name. And because he's Scottish, he might not get a chance. But because that Italian guy's come in, he'll get the game there. Well, the example is Jack Henry in Belgium now. I'm not saying Jack Henry's turned into Cannavaro all night. But He's been voted stats the best player in Belgium. That's it. So if he turned in and Jack Henry's name was a Belgian name at 22, 23 years of age, people would go, ah, why are we not signing that guy? 
I don't know. Maybe the guys that suits him, maybe that bit of football just suits him well in Belgium. I do not know. But if, if somebody looked at Jack Henry on stats and he was a Belgian name at 23 years of age, what would the first thing everybody would be screaming at? Get him signed. It's true, isn't it? Joe was right on that one. Aye, is that is that something do you think you'd agree with Jonathan? Do you think that's maybe something these days it's it's just it's just happened now that guys want to spend money instead of having to maybe give the youth guy a chance because maybe they are coming from a foreign country, big money, big expectations, and that's why they play. And then if they're not good enough, they might go right and then we'll play the youth guy. Do you think that's maybe something they may need to look at eventually? I I mean it's I think it's Celtic. It, it's just the, the expectation. It's Celtic is you've got to win. You, you've got to win, and you've got to win every game. And I always remember my dad saying that, that Celtic players will be judged in games against Rangers and in the Champions League. That should be what, what Celtic players are judged on, because those are the games that are the most elite levels. And. I think Darren O'Day told the story as well about him playing against AC Milan one night and, and my old man pulling him after the game. Like that, right, you've done well, but God, this is this is the level you've got to be at every week, you know? And it's just, it's really, really hard. It's really hard and I've got a lot of sympathy because I think you've got this, this Colts plan that's coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do think that that would be beneficial to the clubs that could put Colts teams in. Now, whether that's Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen, Celtic Rangers, I do think that would be a benefit. But I do see the other side of it as well, while those lower league clubs don't want it. Um, but there's there's no question, there's no question that Scottish people in general, you know, love being pessimistic and love being harsh. So, you know, you see a player come through, if he doesn't hit the ground running and have like an Aidan McGeady type debut, then nah, he's mince. Mm-hmm. Get somebody, no, but we don't need him. We'll get him in, what's he doing? So I've got I've got sympathy because I think at big clubs, it's hard to come through as it is. And I think in, in West of Scotland, big clubs, it's uh, it's really, really difficult. Aye, I think that's. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, as fans, you do expect so much. Um, I think that is because, as we are, as you say, we're Celtic, so you always expect to win. And if a guy doesn't have a brilliant debut, it's, as you mentioned, he's mince, he's not good enough. So I think maybe sometimes you do need to take a step back and maybe let these guys develop. If it is either a 10-game period, 20-game period, I think they need to develop. And I think that's maybe something Celtic need to look at. Maybe... Celtic fans need to look at longer term is obviously you want success but you've got to remember you've always got to plan for the future and these players who are in the youths are the future and obviously we don't know how money's going to be after 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 the pandemic and Brexit so maybe these youth guys may get a chance to come up in a few years to come Yeah and, and I think that I think that the whole listen whether we won the 10 or whether we didn't win the 10 Ryan, I always think that, that after this season there was going to be mm-hmm. a change anyway because they're, they're had, yeah, everybody understands that Celtic needs to win and needs to win the league and needs to be competing in the Champions League and, and there's no doubt about that but I think there does have to be an onus as well of, of, of how do we get players on a regular basis, you know, coming in and, and being in and around the first team and mm-hmm. 
Um, and like I said, I, it wouldn't surprise me if next season is the start of that because I think there has to be a lot of players that you would imagine are going to go out the door. You know, so it's going to be tough to do a, a full rebuild for the start of next season. See, uh, Jonathan, on on reserve football, your dad would obviously have been big in reserve football. Do you feel that's how it's taken youth players such a hard, like to go from youth football to first team football because they've not got reserve football to play against seasoned pros and stuff like that coming back from injury? Um, I mean, personally, yeah. But, I mean, listen, the guys that make decisions have forgot more than I know, you know, so I, I'm sure there's logic behind it. But what I will say is, is I, I think there's too big of a gap just now in Scotland between academy and first team. And I, I don't think that it's, it's possible to kind of float about in limbo from 18 to 23 without a structure that's getting them ready for that jump to the first team. And, um, you know, I, I think it wouldn't surprise me with COVID and, and the financial impact that that's had on, on Scottish football. It wouldn't surprise me if now the Colts thing happened because I think the bigger clubs are, are probably in a position to almost use that as, as like a leverage. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, you know, but I, I think that, with COVID, it's probably brought the opportunity that, you know, these clubs are going to sink a bit of money into the game and the game badly needs it. No, definitely. Because me and Ryan, were, I've always spoke about reserve football when I was young. I used to have it in your season book and stuff like I used to be able to go to Celtic Park and watch these are youth players coming through and saying how much that playing against, against guys who's probably first-team regulars at Celtic or Rangers or Aberdeen and just playing against them rather than playing against people at their own age and how it developed them and made them stronger and made it easy to get back like to go to the first team for like guys like Charlie Mulgrew, as you say, um, Darna Dade and McGeady. These guys teach them lessons that they'll know, learn at youth football. You can be all the talent in the world you want, but to play against a seasoned pro and know the do's and do-nots of football, then... That's the only way you're going to learn, I suppose. Yeah, but and, and I think if, if you look at Aidan McGeady's situation, I mean, Aidan McGeady was in and about the reserves, he was about 16, you know, 16. And, and, you know, you had Kenny McDowell in there as well. And Kenny was a brilliant coach, but, I mean, Kenny was Kenny was a, a tough man as well, you know. And, and, like, I think he was probably the perfect reserve coach at the time for that first team, you know, because... He really set an environment there where it was very much like you think you do that here, you know, how are you supposed to go and play for a first team with sixty thousand screaming at you? And yeah. like I say, it's um I think it is probably just something that, that over the next three to five years you hope, you know, you hope that something can kind of work itself out. I know the SFA implemented Project Brave, which was something that um, was really, really good in theory in terms of, you know, el- elite level. And we want everything to be elite with those youth setups. Um, and, and I think that there is, you know, there is a lot of great coaches working in academy football in Scotland. It's, it's just looking, I think, and it's only my opinion, of course, but 
I just think the next things, will, will, the gap between academy and first team, you know, how do we how do we bridge it? It's definitely, it's definitely something we've spoken about quite a lot. Uh, Jonathan is obviously trying to bring it back. We, we spoke about it a month ago, and then obviously it was in the papers, and we're thinking that. I'm glad because we've kind of says every gear is maybe guys who are no point every week, some some competitive football. Um, and I think that's maybe what's missing for the youths because it's already playing football and the, the youth level, but you're you going to learn playing against guys your day age all the time. And I think it's too what both he says. The reserve football for me is something I think that I'd like to bring back in. Um, and obviously, Jonathan, we've spoken about how like, your dad was very, very kind of highly thought of by a lot of people um, in football. Um, how was his dad to yourself and obviously? As a husband, your, your mum must have been a, a great kind of family kind of era as well. I, I, I don't know what my mum would say, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, listen, he was amazing. Amazing. Because, you, you know, I get asked that question a lot, you know, what was it like having Tommy Burns as, as your dad? And I was like, I don't know. What do you mean? What's it like having your dad as yours? You know what I mean? Like, it was, <laughs> it was just... Um, he was just dad to us, you know, and, and it, like everything else, you know, you would, you know, it, it's, he was around, he, he didn't bring football home with him, you know, I, I don't really remember, um, you know, him coming home stressed out, you know, he was, he was always very good at kind of shielding that side of it, you know, and um, I think that he's, you know, let us see, we spoke about his human qualities in regards to his coaching and all that, but he had all that. He had all that as a dad as well. You know, you just I think the best compliment you could ever give him was just you, you absolutely loved being around him. Mm-hmm. You loved being around him because he was he was so funny, you know, his stories, you know, he had a one-liner for everything. And um, you know, just just as a dad, I think everything that you would look at and say it was it was a kind of model father, you know. Um, no downside at all. Football is what it is, you know. They spend a lot of time away, travelling, and you know everything else. But when he was there, he was very he was very present, you know. Because as you mentioned, obviously, people says as. As you mentioned about your human qualities, um, actually, I text my mate saying that you're coming on if you if you ain't taken a ask if you want to find out anything about it. And he says, well, he says there was one, it was a game one day. He says I can't remember the game was. He says, but they were all went outside for autographs for the players. And he says that like, a few players must have, must know game autographs. And he says your dad walked over and says, all right, son, sign. And he's like, wow, it just shows you that he says it was the classium. Players done the day, but he took his time out to talk to me and give me an autograph. And he says, That made my day. He says, I went to school that the school that next day, pure buzzing. Oh, I met Tommy Burns. He says, It made my day. And I think that just shows you the classroom as a, as a man and as a, as a Celtic man. Yeah, I, I never, I never, Ryan, in my life seen him turn down anybody for a, an autograph or a picture. And I, I never seen that in my life. And I went to Seville with him. Um, I went to Seville with him and Mother of Jesus, I've, it, it was like, honestly, it was, it was like, I've never seen it like it. We, just, we, we could not move. We, we could not move. And 
you know, and he signed every single one. And eventually what we had to do was, is we had to hide up this lane. There was a little bar in the lane. And we sat up there, you know, our, our, our friends, Tony Kelly, and, and we sat in that bar all day because we couldn't, I mean, the, the minute he, he came out, it was like there was a thousand people around him and he would, he would never say no. Mm-hmm. You know, he would never say no. And I, I think he always knew, I think he always knew kind of, what the Celtic fans meant to him, you know, and, and what he meant to them. And it, there's just, there was no way, there was no way in this earth that he would ever turn down anybody that was looking for anything like that. That's definitely something I don't know, Robert. I think obviously it doesn't really happen now. A lot of players kind of palm it off, even managers have palm it off. So it just shows you, again, as we've spoken about so many times, just a brilliant man and has a lot of time for people because I think, as he always says, he was a fan and get lucky and I think he realises the fans are a big part of the club and I think that was something, again, to me, it's absolutely brilliant for him as a man. It's just, Tommy Burns, just what Jonathan said there, that's all I remember, Tommy Burns, just the person, the character and, as you say, he's, he's a fan that get lucky but, you know what, he always appreciated the fans he always spoke highly enough of the fans because at the end of the day, he was just a fan that got lucky. Obviously, a lot of talented player and a lot of talented coach and manager, but just the guy, just the character of the man was just unbelievable. I actually just read a story the other day about, I think it was Patrice Evra, and he was talking about our new players and how they walked by supporters and just went on the bus, and Alex Ferguson seen it. And went on and roasted every one of the players and they shouted F and this and F and that. They people pay money to come and watch you. They people pay your wages. And he made every one of them get off the bus and sign autographs. He says, oh, we've just been training. And I think in the game now, I'm not saying you don't get that, but there's not as many people as that in the game nowadays. And I think that's mm-hmm. problem way modern football is just money. And they just the arrogance of players and probably coaches and stuff. Like my mate, he's a big Chelsea fan and doesn't support any other club weirdly enough in Glasgow but he supports Chelsea and he told me a story like he was doing at Chelsea and he was I don't know he was obviously younger at the time and he was trying to get guys autographs and I think it was it was like two of the worst players at Chelsea at the time because they were all pure superstars mm-hmm. and two of them like Sean Wright Phillips I think it was and somebody else like I can't remember who else and he says they two like snubbed all the fans and he thought of all the superstars that walked out there, they've signed autographs and they two clowns didn't <laughs> sign autographs and he thought he was raging. He actually said he hated the two of them. I can't Sean Wright Fox was one in there. I can't remember the other one, but it just shows you that like, people aren't even mm-hmm. that big in the game and they're just snubbing fans. I think that's just the arrogance of players coming through nowadays. It's bad. But again, I think it's I think obviously Jonathan's dad obviously realised that was something that maybe he thought he had to do. Um, it was something that he was, no, I'm, I'm a one of them, so I'm going to do what I need to do. And I think it's the story about Seville, Jonathan, that's superb. I didn't, I didn't know that happened. So, again, it just shows you, as he says, no, I need to sign the autographs, I need to do it. It's, it's a funny story in a way because it was obviously bombarded with a lot of fans and it took a lot of time to sign three, four, five thousand autographs. I he's and you know I, I think he's um I remember I remember as well you know my my gran lived in the Drygate 
she lived in the Drygate across for the necropolis and and you had his his uncle his uncle George lived at, actually basically on the Gallagate, you know. And I remember uh, going to visit his uncle George one night and we get in the house, but we drive by the young team on the way in. So we're in there for about five minutes and then it's the door goes and uh, so George goes to the door and says, Where's that? Tam Burns in there. <laughs> and then George's like, No, Tam Burns isn't he in here. He's not in. So then, next thing you know, uh, the full young team appears at the living room window like that. <laughs> so we were, we were caught. So then, like, that was him for, for the next hour and a half. He was out, you know, signing, the, signing all the autographs and doing the pictures for them. And, you know, an equal measure, to be honest with you, Ryan, he was, he was an absolute terror. He, he terrorised some folk in at that Celtic Park because, you know, I remember the doctor, Derek McCormack, who actually, when he, when he was very ill, Derek was amazing. I mean, Derek was at our house probably about 15 hours a day. You know, he was a Celtic club doctor and a great, great man. Um, but I remember one night, it was, I think we were playing Spartak Moscow. It was the... It was a picture where he's jumping on right, all aye, players. Aye. Uh, yeah. So what you probably don't see in that picture is if it if it pans right, Doctor Derek is at the side of it as well. So he, obviously, you know, my dad gets hold of that and uh, he gets the girls in the office to draft up a fake letter from UEFA. So they've put on the the UEFA stamp and put the address and all that, and uh, you know he goes into like the doctor's office the next day in the stadiums like. Oh, he goes, have you heard? And the dog's like, no. He goes, oh. he goes, like, UEFA's just sent this letter saying that we're fined 50 grand for no control on our staff. And the doctor fucking, <laughs> <laughs> honest to God, I think the doctor needed mouth to mouth. He was absolutely <laughs> flattened. You know, he just, he was, and like the doctor always got, you know, he always got uh, absolutely battered by him. But again, it was one, it was one of the ones where you just, you, you know, he could absolutely roast you one minute, you know, and then two minutes later, you're your best pals again. You know, he just, he, he had that about him. So, um, honestly, he was, some of the things that he'd done to people in there, I don't think they'll ever forgive him for, but he was, uh, they got a good laugh at it, if nothing else. He was good at old singing as well, wasn't he, Jonathan? Mark thought, he was, thought he was. Um, <laughs> Aye, it's listen. We always, um, we always kind of had like family parties in the house, you know, and we would have the Bonners and the McGarveys, um, and the Nicholases, and because we all lived very close to each other. Mm-hmm. My sisters told the story before; it was an absolute rub, you know. Everybody started to get a song in, and you know, we, we would have new song nights. <laughs> we had to learn a new song. Then come and perform it, and it was just, as I say, like amazing, amazing memories, you know. But um, oh, the singing was, God, it was one singer, one song, and oh Jesus, it was aggressive, you know. If you butted in in somebody else's song, it was, you'd be murdered for that, you know. So, but aye, great times, great nights. Brilliant, really, really good. See at Celtic, um, your dad being there. What great memories did you have? What stands out for you? Um, players, your dad, European nights? Um, I would say the best 
memories for me, Robert, were probably in the Strachan era. Um, Because I think then I was probably at an age where, you know, I was, I I really understood it, you know, I I really kind of understood what it meant. And, you know, maybe when you're kind of at primary school or those younger age groups, it doesn't quite affect you as much. So I think those nights where, uh, if I had to pick one of what I would say was just an amazing night, the, the Man United game at home, unbelievable, unbelievable. Just probably my favourite, probably my favourite game. You know, just the drama, Boric saving the penalty and just everything and, and just how much that meant. Because I think that took us through the last 16 as well. So yeah. I just, I, I remember it just being... God, just everybody was just floating, you know, because I think Strachan and Ferguson were, were were maybe no tighter than two coats of paint. So I, I think it meant a lot from that point of view as well. Um, yeah, I think I remember going to the San Siro um, and I was with my mum and my sister, Jenna, and we went to the San Siro and it was the night that Kaka ran about 70 yards. <laughs> so... I mean, you'll remember, Robert, the San Siro yeah. is quite literally in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they've got a cheap yep. yep. in the land because there's just nothing. Yep. So we're walking and we're walking for miles and miles. So then all of a sudden we hear the clapping and all that. I'm like, what's that? So that shows you how, you know, that shows you how long we'd walked for because the team bus is what, an hour after the game, an hour and 15 minutes maybe. Yep. So we're walking and uh, the Celtic team bus is coming up the road. And God and God didn't seen us. God didn't seen me, Jenna, and my mum. And, and he's and he's pointing and he's saying, Tam, you know, that's there's and he just comes up and he goes like that. So Gordon goes like that. Do you want us to pick them up? And he goes like, Oh no, they love all that and with the fans <laughs> and that. Honestly, Robert, <laughs> I know I had feet left by the time I got back to the hotel. We must have walked for about two and a half hours. I could have absolutely murdered them that night because it was genuinely one of those ones where it's not even as if God thought you would have seen us. Like, I actually stood up front of the bus wave and we were two and a half hours from there back to the hotel. But, um, we, we've done got? the day trip for that, sorry, Jonathan, and me and my mate at the time, and I think it was like £330. So we just literally got dropped off in the square and then got to the stadium and then after the game, ushered onto buses and straight out to the ho- uh, straight onto the airport. So we were literally in Milan for about 10 hours, I think. That was how it was. I'm jealous. I'm jealous, Robert, because I walked about 10 hours that night. (laughs) Or some experience. But see your dad that night, before the game, we were right down the right-hand side and the players were doing the warm-up and your dad came over and applauded the supporters. And I think there was about 15,000, 20,000 days there. And I think, see, just the roar of the support, obviously when your dad came over and kind of clapped to support that night, before Dharma Day and all that took the warm-up right in front of Celtic support. I think that just cheered the fans up that night. Like, we actually believed we could have went there and done something. It was brilliant. Some experience. Aye, it's, it, to be honest with you, Robert, we were probably really unlucky. No, we do were it. unlucky, oh, very I, unlucky. I think Kaka at that time was probably one of, if not the best player in the world, and he just world. had one moment of... He got one and one with Steve McManus and the rest was history. Yeah. I think, but it just guided by Neil Lennon the halfway line, didn't he? And I was uh, like, oh no! It made them look as if they were standing still, you know. But um, 
No, but if I was to pick one, I would say the Man United game at home was the one that I would... I, the Spartak one was was great because I think penalties is always, you know, the best way to win and worst way to lose, isn't it? But the Man United one was just, I think, typical of Celtic on a Champions League night, you know, where just anything's possible and, and you could beat anybody because Man United were obviously a top, top team at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, amazing. That night was just amazing. Really, really good stories. Good to hear them, Jonathan. I think it's here for me. I've only been to a few European games, but I've never walked, I've never walked that far. <laughs> <laughs> and if I have, I've, I've been drunk, so I can't remember. But that's just, that's, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know Milan was like that, Jonathan. I didn't know Milan, the stadium uh, was, I thought that. it was in the actual Milan. I don't think it was like an outskirts, basically. No, no, it was honestly, so what happened was, is basically the Celtic fans were kind of, they were in this square called Duomo, yeah. um, which is in front of the cathedral, and then everybody was kind of shepherded onto these buses, and the buses took you to the San Siro. When we came out, the, the buses had fucked off, we, we, there, there was nothing, so you were just walking, and nobody really knew where they were going, to be honest with you, it was like blind leading the blind, like people were just walking in a direction, and... Um, oh God, honestly, it was just, it was one of the ones where you've just been beat as well, you know what I mean? And, and everybody's getting gutted, so you're like that. Is there ever going to be an end to this walk? But um, we had a, a good one as well, Ryan, was I went to the World Cup with him in 2006, went to Germany. And, and Barry Volks had, um, Barry Volks had kind of organised it for us. So we were to fly into... I can't, I, I can't remember the name. We'd flown to the wrong airport in Germany and we'd arrived at midnight. So Bertie had sent a driver and all that to the airport and my dad's phoned Bertie and been like, aye, we're here. So Bertie's like, well, the driver's there. And, and literally, I mean, this, this could have been an Air Force base, right? There was nothing. And, you know, my dad was like, no, Bertie's here. He goes, what airport are you at? And he told him, he goes, Tommy, he says, that's that's two hours away. <laughs> so so we we nothing, we're in Germany, right? And, and if you have been to Germany, just like, the Germans speak German, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're kind of on your own. So this Celtic fan was on the flight and he got his bags and he goes, oh, Tommy, he goes, can I give you a lift anywhere? And, and my old man explained the situation and the Celtic fan just said to him, I jumped in the motor. The Celtic man wasn't going there, but it took him two hours to to the hotel we were supposed to be at. And I was just thinking, if you fell in the Clyde, you'd come up with fucking salmon. <laughs> Literally flew from the airport with absolutely nothing, you know, and a Celtic fans just absolutely, you know, absolutely saved their lives that night. Because I honestly don't know what we would have done between the two of us. That's brilliant. Really, really good. Because obviously, I think it's a lot of people all, all know now that his faith was a, a massive thing for him. Um, was that, was that kind of engraved that he used as well as a family, or was it mainly just him? It was a big, big in his faith. Yeah, I mean, listen, his faith was, I mean, he went to Mass every day. Um, I mean, I don't go to Mass every day, I don't think. You know, I, I try and get as often as I can, but... Uh, was it true that he went before every training session? Was that true? I uh, uh, would normally go between the, the training yeah. sessions. 
Um, he, he would nip up to kind of St Alphonsus, I think it is, um, just at the back of the Gallagate. Mm-hmm. Oh, St, St Mary's as well, obviously, right there. So he, he would go. He would go every single day. You know, and if it wasn't for mass, he would just go and sit himself for half an hour in the chapel. And um, there used to be a physio at Celtic called Nayam Nayam Muhammad. It was a, a great physio, but uh, Nayam used to call him Silas out of uh, the Da Vinci Code. You know, the, the guy, <laughs> the guy that lives there or not. So like, Nayam used to call him uh, Silas, and um, you know, it, it was everybody. Everybody knew that you know, his his faith was very, very big to him, you know, and, and he put everything, he put everything in his faith, you know, everything good or bad that happened in his life, you know, it, it was just, right, well, there's a plan for it. And um, I think probably it, even when he was ill, I think that's something that, that really helped him, you know, that kind of belief that there was, there was something else, you know. That's probably maybe comforting for you and for him as well, obviously, because, he was very ill, but as a family, maybe knowing that he was very comfortable in his faith, it, it, it maybe helped you as well. Aye, aye. I mean, I mean, definitely because it's um, you, you know, listen. I, I think he was definitely in a situation where there's there's fear and, there, and there's going to be fear, you know, especially if you're in that situation where you're that ill, but. I, I think that his faith just probably got more developed at that point, you know, and he put more into it because, you know, I think he was comfortable with the fact that he, he'd lived his life the right way, you know, and, and he never kind of, he never walked away from his faith. He, he always put trust in it. So I think you're right. You know, I think there was a big comfort and, and listen, more for, more for him, mm-hmm. you know, because I think for us, when it happened, you know, you're always going to be devastated, you know, because a massive part of your lives is is left, and um, you know the, the devastation of you know of losing them is probably overwhelming. But for him, looking back, the comfort is is that he was probably at peace with the fact that there was there was something else that that, that he believed in, and and that was definitely something that that you can look back on, and and you know. Take um, take comfort. I think that's maybe something that's it's maybe kind of good to hear, Robert. In a sense that the faith was, even though till the day he did pass away, that it was obviously a big thing for him to actually keep keep at his faith. And that, as Jonathan says, it also helped him until obviously went to the other side and obviously a better place now. Yeah, definitely, Ryan. I've had a, a lot of, as you know, stuff through family and that, and it kind of pushed me away from my faith. Um, I'm not saying I'm doing the right thing but you just question life and obviously I can take inspiration from what Jonathan's saying that his dad it pushed him more to his faith mm-hmm. maybe I'm doing things wrong but obviously in time I'll just work that one out myself um, but it's very good to hear what Jonathan's saying that it helped him as a family his faith and stuff to get through the grief that you get through in life um, it certainly makes you stronger um, and it's just probably comforting to know that his dad lived his life exactly how he wanted and he's got amazing stories with his dad and everything that's actually happened that he can look back and say, my dad's lived a life like mm-hmm. somebody at 100 probably didn't get to live, mm-hmm. if you get what I mean on that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can relate to him and 
stuff like that because obviously my dad had passed away and stuff like that. So I do get where he's coming from and that, and it's it's hard, but it gives you great memories from my dad taking me to the football, just the way Jonathan's dad took him to the football. So I can relate to him in a lot of that. Because mm. obviously as well, um, it's obviously it's it's a big thing to go through, obviously, and I think obviously. With the faith side of it, I think the two is are spot on with it. It's, I think John Fitz obviously kind of in your later life, is that something you continue to do? Or is it something you're kind of, as you mentioned, kind of, it's not a really big thing in your life anymore? With with, with regards to... But the faith side, are you big on it? Or is it no really yeah, something Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I mean, listen, Ryan, nowhere, nowhere near... Mm-hmm. My old man's level, but I, I don't. I don't think the Pope's on his level. So, <laughs> um, I it, I would say that that I agree with a lot of what Robert says. I think it probably took me a long time to accept it, um, and I think you go through you, you go through really questioning probably everything in your life at that point. But but I think as well. I think as well. You know, his big thing was you can't ever be, you know, why me, why me? Mm-hmm. You know, he was always very much, well, why not me? You know, and, and I think every family, look, we're, we're all going to die. You know, we're all going to die. It's going to happen at different stages in our lives, you know, and under different circumstances. And, and I think for him, you know, from my personal point of view, I, I think that um, I'm happy that he had his faith to to lean on. And, you know, as, as Robert said, with everything that, that he achieved in his life, you know, you've, listen, if you had the choice between living for 101 years or living for 51 and doing what he'd done, you know, playing for the team that he loved, managed the team that he loved, you know, played for his country, albeit he would bitch about that because he never done it enough, he says, but... I, I don't I don't think there's one single second of his life that he would he would ever look upon as, as regret. Um and I mean amazing. If if we can all leave this earth with that, you know, God we're doing something right. Yeah, definitely, mate. It's I think it's definitely something I think it's it's a big thing for you, obviously, the face side, and obviously for your dad. So it's very kind of comforting, um, as you mentioned for him. Um obviously the last week, but I was might speak of as well is Obviously, you're coaching at the moment. Um, how how's the coaching in America? Is it how's how's it been for you? Is it is it been for a while? Has it been a kind of a long term thing? Yeah, I've been here for five years, Ryan. Um, and, and as I as I said earlier, I was at Celtic for for seven. Um, and I, and I, listen, even that in itself, I was so so lucky because. There's no doubt about it. I, I managed to get in and about Celtic, you know, because of because of my dad, you know, and and, and I managed to get in there and get a really good exposure to top coaches mm. from from a young age. And um, I I just felt probably coming towards the end of the seven years that I I just had to go somewhere where I I wasn't Tommy Burns' son, you know, and and going do a job and try and do a good job and be judged on that. Um, and, and I think America is, it was a great um, opportunity for me, obviously, but a great exposure to something different. 
Ryan, because the Americans um, make no mistake about it. You know, everything in Europe is developed, developed, and, and everything in America is, you know, yeah, we, we want to develop, but we want to win as well. You know, so it's it's given me a kind of different. Um, it's kind of given me a different environment to work in, and uh, I've I've really really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know where it'll go in, in the future, Ryan. I think for me, I'm like every other coach. You want to try and work at the highest possible level with the best possible players. And, you know, I, I just need to keep my head down and, and, and keep uh, keep going with my kind of education and, and and hope that somewhere along the line, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be kind of blessed with an opportunity somewhere. Would, have you ever thought about, obviously, you're still at a early age of your coaching career, would you ever come back to your Scotland coach again? Or do you think you're kind of settled at working in the kind of culture abroad? Um, I would I would go I would go anywhere, Ryan, to coach, to be honest with you, just as long as it was the kind of right, um, just as long as it was the kind of right opportunity. I, I think that, would I go back to Scotland? I mean, of course, I love Scotland. I love... Mm. I love Glasgow. That's that's my home, and you know, if you ever get an opportunity to kind of go and work, you know, back home, you'd be over the moon with that. But that being said, Scotland's a very very tough place to make a living, particularly in, in full time football because there's not a lot of money in the game. Number one, and and there's no there's no tons of kind of full time positions, you know. So America's a, an incredible place for opportunity. Um, in, in various different levels, so I'm um, I'm I'm really open minded, to be honest with you, Ryan. But I I just think it's it's just for me just trying to get better, you know, every day and, and just trying to you know learn from the kind of guys that are around me and and let's say hopefully hopefully at some point you know I'm in a position where somebody deems me um good enough to maybe go and work at a higher level, um, but like I say, there's there's a hell of a lot for me to do as well, you know. So just keep grafting away. For me, but Jonathan's saying there, Robert, it's it's actually it's brilliant that the fact that he's seen an opportunity and go, no, I need to go and better myself when he's went abroad because a lot of people don't really go and venture abroad and can challenge themselves. So for Jonathan's a coach to go and challenge himself, I think it's it's actually very very good from for himself. To, and obviously, it's it's brilliant for me to go and do that and obviously experience a different life somewhere else. It speaks volumes him that he's turning and says, I'm taking myself out of my comfort zone of being Tommy Burns' son. Because he could have probably stayed at Celtic for another seven years just because he's dad. And I'm not saying Jonathan's not a good coach, but Jonathan's seen that opportunity and went, I'm going to go out my comfort zone, go to America and do my own coaching. And fair play to him, it's, I would love to do that myself. You know what I mean? This coaching. And I, it's really, really good to see that he's came out of his comfort zone and went and tested himself in a different environment and different obviously different country and different ways of doing things in it. It will be different in America compared to it would be in Scotland. I uh, see see obviously that sense of how is the kind of the kind of coaching sequel over there because obviously back here it's uh, it's quite different now compared to what it was years ago, but how is it over there? Ah, you, you know something, Ryan. I was I was kind of keeping an eye on the media when they were talking about Stephen Glass getting the Aberdeen job, mm-hmm. and 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 some of the some of the articles that were written, you know, seemed to kind of 
painted Atlanta United as ragas rovers. Atlanta United are massive with probably one of the best training grounds in the world and play in one of the best stadiums in the world. So, you know, they're playing in front of 70,000 every week. So I, there's a kind of, I think people look at America and, and still look at it as if it's maybe years ago where where guys would go out to pasture, you know, and instead of a penalty shootout, you would run for the halfway line, try and take on the goal and all that. So the game here is, is developed. The facilities are, are unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and you're in a, you're in a country with 350 million people, 400 million people. So the, the talent levels of those top, top teams, Ryan, is very, very good. Um, and the infrastructure is, you know, like, like I say, there's a, there's a lot of people here that make really good money out the game because it, it is. I mean, it's a model where there's a lot of money in, in football here. So, you know, I, when I was kind of reading the Stephen Glass thing, I was like, well, people think that, that he's not been working at a high level or, or you know, he, he's no used to it. I mean, Aberdeen's a massive club, of course it is, but, you know, going for Atlanta United, it, it wasn't as if he was getting dragged from a farm, you know, like he was he was already working in a very high-performance environment. So, um, you know, listen, I think that, that there's a couple... It's not perfect. The, the model in America is not perfect. It, it needs to be... Um, particularly at the youth levels, there's there's probably changes that need to happen to make sure that the best are getting pushed on. But um, there's no doubt that it's it's on the right path. And and I think that the talent. I mean, you've seen young Cameron Harper as well at Celtic. Um, he's back at Red Bulls, but you know, there's there's players in America. You know, that America has some very very high level talent. Can you see what, obviously, uh, John, if you seen, seen there, Robert, do you know, maybe think that's maybe a, 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 a country where Celtic can maybe get these VGMs again for maybe a, a few hundred thousands and get a scout out there? Because, as John, if you said, they've obviously got a lot of talent and the UFC just need to get picked up. Because as my old man always says, there's talent everywhere. Well, Celtic have got scouts all over America. They've got training camps all over America, right? Um, and I think they did try... With Manny Perez and Andre Gutman, but we don't know really much about that. I don't know if Jonathan can give more limelight on what happened there and what was the deals were about because it was rather strange that none of them ever really played a game for Celtic or they were only overtraining. I don't know if that was today with their visas and stuff like that. I don't know if you can clarify on that, Jonathan. Uh, I, I'm honestly not sure, Robert. I, I know with Manny Perez, he came from, I think he was playing at NC State. Which is a um, a university, you know, big time college program here, and um, you know, it's it was a strange one to me, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think that the the visa thing is definitely a big stumbling block, Robert, because unless they are absolute game changers, it's unlikely that clubs are going to invest the thousands needed. To, to get them over there. So the kind of holy grail is, is you hope that these guys have a European relative or something that would qualify them for a European passport because that's probably the way around it. Um, 
but the, the the market here is is massive. I, I think Rangers have probably took more advantage of that over the years with some of the American players that they've had in their um, in their first team. But it would it wouldn't surprise me at all um, if there's a bigger push in kind of North America because, like I say, you have everything here, Robert. If you go to Miami, it's it's going to be. Cubans, Mexicans, you know, um, Brazilians, you've got a real kind of diverse population there and the talent level is very, very high. Um, And like I say, they're like like everybody in Scotland. They live and breathe football, you know, so it's it's there, you know, it's there. It's just, do we have the, do we have the budget, you know, to kind of go and, and get these guys the visas and calling everything that comes with that, you know. Yeah, like the boy Davis for Bayern, the left back. He came mm-hmm. to America, didn't he? Yeah, he was. Uh, is it Alfonso Davis? Yeah, Alfonso I, Davis. I, I think he was. Um, I think he's Canadian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I listen. A hundred percent. It's. I think if you came here and watched a kind of MLS showcase event, you know, and watched the actual academy teams, you would look at it and say, oh, well, there's, yeah, there's no doubt that these lads are every bit as good as as, as what's back home. You know, it's just that the, the market's a lot different, you know, and, and getting them over there is a hell of a lot harder as well. Yeah. I think that's definitely maybe something... In the future, that Celtic, all as Jonathan says, it's the money side of it, but it's hopefully in the future we might get a wee gem again from kind of American stuff. Um, but again, Jonathan, I really appreciate your time. This, me and Robert love the stories. Um, I love hearing your own experiences in life as well. So I really appreciate your time. Um, and obviously, I know maybe you're back in normal times in, in America, but again, just keep safe and obviously, the rest of your life, mate. Coaching-wise, hope you can kick on and hopefully we'll speak to you again. Yeah, thanks very much uh, for your time, lads. I've enjoyed it. So thanks for having me on. Thanks Thank, very much, thanks Jonathan. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah, lads. Take care, Jonathan. See you after. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. We can't deny the need to fly. 